Hello there, listener, and welcome back to my podcast, Kissy's Corner, where we discuss all things mental health. Thank you so much for coming back and enjoying the last two episodes. Episode two continues to perform as well as episode one, and I'm so thrilled that there are so many people enjoying mental health as much as I do. I'm so very blessed and grateful that people are taking their mental health as seriously as they should. And by investing in your own mental health, you are investing in the future of the overall improvement of your health and your well-being. And that's always a good decision, especially around these parts. Today's episode is going to center around a topic that I feel quite strongly about because it's something that I have been struggling with for a very long time, and it's something I still struggle with to this day, and that is the struggle with self-doubt. Today, we're going to break down what self-doubt is. We're going to talk about what it can look like, negative and positive coping methods, and then I'm going to give you some things that I like to do to work through my own self-doubt. I'm going to reference three different articles that I looked up while I was researching this topic, And I'm going to be able to post them as well so that you can see and reference them and take everything in the way it is being delivered. I do want to say before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode that I am not a qualified mental health expert. I am a certified pediatric nurse. However, take everything that I say in this episode and all the episodes before and after this with a grain of salt. I want you to make sure you are consulting with your primary healthcare provider. And if you are working with any therapists, psychologists, or psychiatrists, please make sure you are consulting them first and foremost and taking everything that I say over to them and use this as a conjunction along with your already prepared mental health regimens. Do not take everything I say completely to heart Uh, without consulting your medical team first. Your mental health is extremely important and I am invested in it and I am invested in my own, but I want you to make sure you're working with your teams as well. That being said, pull up a chair, get comfortable, get yourself a drink, alcoholic or not, and welcome to my podcast. Welcome back, listener. Thank you so much for sitting through the intro. It continues to get good reviews about how calming and positive it is, and so I hope you take the same amount of peace from it that I do. Today, we're going to be talking about self-doubt. Now, in order to dive into what self-doubt is, I'm going to give you the textbook definition that I found on the website, Berkeley Wellbeing Institute. And it is defined as a state of uncertainty about the truth of anything. It could be about our thoughts, beliefs, emotions, opinions, decisions, self-views, or any truth we hold in our minds. 
And so digging into more about what that exactly means. When you talk about how you are doubting yourself, you are doubting yourself and your ability. You are doubting the certainty about the truth of anything. Self-doubt can be in our thoughts. It can be in our opinions and how we feel about ourselves. That's why it's called self-doubt. Because this doubt that we are holding, it does not really extend to others. It's really only held within ourselves. It's the truth, quote unquote, that we hold in our own minds. And these truths can be very, very difficult to break, especially when you spent a very large amount of time committing yourself to this truth and knowing that this is your truth in your mind. And now, if somebody else were to come in and try to break it, it would be quite difficult to shake this truth from its foundation. When we are in the state of self-doubt, we often have the sense that we're not stable, that there must be something wrong with us, that if we're doubting ourselves, it's because there's something inherently incorrect about our abilities and our thoughts and our feelings towards ourselves. And this is why self-doubt is such a huge problem. And it is such an overlooked part of our inherent mental health, but it is something that almost everybody I've ever met has experienced at least once in their life. And if you're one of these people, then you're going to know exactly what I talk about as I describe what self-doubt is and what it can feel like. And so I think it's important for us to talk about why are we talking about self-doubt in the first place? Well, as I've said before, self-doubt is something that I feel is very, very prevalent in our society, but for some reason, we don't really talk a lot about it. It's so prevalent in our society because I think we are built on this foundation of comparing ourselves to other people, comparing ourselves to celebrities that we see on TV, comparing ourselves to our neighbors, our friends, people in our schools, in our social cliques. And sometimes the media makes it very easy for us to doubt ourselves. There's these very harmful depictions of what people should look like in the media, how they should act, how they should talk, especially with women. It makes it very, very easy for us to see that image and think, well, I don't look like that. I don't act like that. And so therefore, because I don't, there must be something inherently wrong with me. And that feeling that there's something incorrect, something that is unstable within yourself, it really clouds your judgment and it makes you feel as though you cannot trust yourself. It makes you feel as though you're not enough. And just thinking about that phrase, not enough, it's heavy. It sits in my throat right in the back and it makes it very difficult to process exactly what that means for me. But when you feel like you're not enough, it's very easy for that feeling to come from feelings of comparison. Say for example, you were born into a family of four other children, and maybe you're the middle child and you have an older sibling to look up to, and that older sibling has accomplished so much. Perhaps they went out and became an entrepreneur, they own their own business, or perhaps they went to law school, became a lawyer, or they went to medical school and became a doctor. These roles all carry some sort of significance and importance and stature. And so it comes with a sense of pride that they put the hard work in and they achieved what they wanted. But then when you look at yourself, say for example, you're an artist 
somebody who loves and worships and appreciates artwork. And you are technically an entrepreneur yourself. You're making your own art and you're trying to get out there and sell it and show it off. But it's a little bit more lucrative of a job than, say, being a doctor. It's not as consistent. It's not as cut and dry. The pay is certainly not consistent either. And so when it comes to having other people in your life that you view their successes are more than your own, it's very simple and very easy to feel like you're not enough as soon as you start playing what I like to call the comparison game. When you start comparing yourself to others, that feeling of not being enough can come up very, very quickly, especially depending on how different of a status your friends are holding as opposed to you. This feeling that you're not enough leads to feeling like there's something wrong because you're not meeting expectations. Expectations can come from everywhere. They can come from the world, your friends, your family, even yourselves. We place a lot of expectations on ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis, and I think that comes from society's pressure to make sure that we are perfect at all times, that we are achieving success and we are doing great things. And so when we're not meeting those expectations, immediately the feeling is that we're doing something wrong, that we are unstable, that we are not enough. And these feelings lead to not trusting yourself, not trusting your own judgment, and then doubting your abilities as well as your level of your confidence and it destroys your self-confidence and that's where the self-doubt comes from this is what it feels like this is what it looks like it's very frustrating and it can be quite the intimidating beast to tackle but it's okay because what we're going to do is talk about some coping methods we're going to talk about some things that you can do to help yourself deal with the self-doubt but I am also going to point out the negative things that you do to deal with your self-doubt. Because it wasn't until I read this article that I actually started to recognize some of these negative coping methods. I've done some of them before. And I've known people in my life that have also done these things before. And then it's very simple to fall into these negative coping methods because sometimes you simply don't know any better. So. Let's talk about the negative coping methods first. And I've got three that I wrote down here that I got from one of the articles. And the three are overachieving, self-handicapping, and imposter syndrome. So let's break those down to their bare bones. Overachieving. This is basically if you are going above and beyond. You're doing more than what is asked of you. You're doing more than what is expected of you. And the reason that people overachieve comes from this fear of failure. It comes from that feeling that if you don't do enough, you're not going to feel like you are enough. And so if you strive to do better, then that means you are better. Sometimes better than other people because you're looking at the amount of work that you're putting in and comparing it to the amount of work somebody else is putting in. And if you're doing more, that means you must be achieving more. And that level of achievement, that level of success brings about a pride in you in knowing that I worked so hard and I put in so much work and energy and look at all the success I'm obtaining, all the success all of this success must mean that I'm better, I'm good, better than everyone else. 
But what people don't tend to understand about overachieving is that it can lead to burnout and it can also lead to feeling inadequate. If you're not familiar with what burnout is, I've actually done an episode on this before. Episode two deals strictly with burnout. So if you would like to go listen to that to see how this could potentially tie into struggling with self-doubt, I encourage you to do so. But overachieving can lead to burnout. It can lead to that feeling of exhaustion, fatigue, and irritation. And it can also lead to feeling inadequate because sometimes even when you put in the absolute most, you still don't get back what you're expecting. You see, the formula here, at least the way that we were raised to think, is that if you put the hard work in and you add it in with some grit, sweat, blood, and tears, the only outcome should be success. And most of the times that is correct. However, there are instances where no matter how hard you work, you are not going to reach that level of success because there are other factors out there like luck and timing and connections that can influence the level of success that you have. But think about what happens when you don't reach that level of success after you've overachieved. That's where the feeling of inadequacy comes from because you've put in all this work and you should be feeling better because you're doing better, but you're not. What you are instead is exhausted. You're irritated, you're fatigued, you're frustrated because you're thinking about how much work you put in and how much success you thought you'd get from it, and it's not nearly enough. And so these overachievement methods, when you're dealing with your self-doubt, they're negative because they don't really give you the results that you're wanting. They're actually giving you negative results of depleting your energy and pouring it into something that never really gives you that full feeling that you're looking for. The second one is self-handicapping. This one was interesting to me because I didn't fully understand this one until I read more about it. But what they described it as was using substances or procrastinating so that we have something else to blame our own shortcomings on. Now this is a negative coping method simply for that last part, blaming your shortcomings on something else besides yourself. You see, as humans, obviously we are quite liable to make mistakes, we're quite liable to slip up and fail. However, where the failure leads to knowledge is looking back and reflecting on that failure and understanding what was my part in the failure and what was out of my control. When you self-handicap, sometimes you will purposely put yourself in situations that you know you cannot achieve. So that way, when you don't achieve them, it's very easy to blame your shortcomings on something else. Well, that situation was far too hard. That situation was so difficult. Look at all the factors that were in there. There was no way I was going to meet any of that. So by this self-handicapping, you are creating these negative pockets of experience where you know for a fact that success is never going to happen. And yet you put yourself in that position so that when that failure inevitably happens, you don't have to use yourself to blame your shortcomings on. You can blame it on the situation, such as procrastinating. If you procrastinate and push something off, and then all of a sudden you don't have time to do it at the end, you can blame it on the lack of time. Even though the lack of time was your own fault, you still have created this system where there is something else to blame your shortcomings on and you're not forced to sit there and acknowledge that the shortcoming is all on you. 
And then all of this leads to the third coping method, which is imposter syndrome. It's that feeling that what we have achieved, no matter what our level of competency is, it doesn't make sense and it doesn't match. And so therefore, we don't deserve it. So by convincing yourself that what you have achieved, the success that you have garnered, even though you know logistically by looking at it that you worked hard and you put in all of your energy and you devoted yourself and committed yourself to this success, sometimes when you achieve it, it doesn't make sense for the level of competency that you perceive yourself to be at. And so therefore, you've convinced yourself that you don't deserve to have it. That, well, other people work so much harder than me. Other people put in so much more than me. And so therefore, they deserve that success more than I do. I'll tell you a little story about when I first got started in streaming and I started to amass this great success out of nowhere. I do remember when I first started to stream, I was streaming to a very, very small audience with just a crappy headset microphone and no camera, and I was streaming directly through my PlayStation. The quality was god-awful, and somehow I just convinced myself that no matter what I did, no matter where I went from there, I was always going to be that low-budget, amateur, tiny little streamer. But in the moment, I didn't care because I just wanted to have fun. I just wanted to play the games I loved and I wanted to have cool people come in and talk to me and make these connections. However, when I started to gain success back in early 2022, I started to gain these followers out of nowhere. And the next thing I knew, there were 800, 900, 1000 people that were popping up out of nowhere and deciding to follow my channel. All of a sudden, I had gone from having streams with just two people who happened to be one of my friends and my brother talking in my chat to now having 25 to 30 different people chatting in my chat at one time. And that level of success was so nice at first because everybody loves to succeed. However, I was still wrapped up in that very beginning stage of when I had none of the cool equipment, I had none of the notoriety, none of the fame, quote unquote, and nobody knew who I was. And I was convincing myself that my level of competency was never going to go past that. And so therefore, when I was starting to get all that success, I kept comparing it to my level of competency, how I perceived it. And I kept convincing myself that I did not deserve it, that I was not worth all of this success, I was not worth all of this love and the support from my community, and I created this imposter syndrome within me so that I didn't have to sit there and struggle and deal with my own self-doubt. And so these three negative coping methods, when they're put together or practiced separately, they can do some damage on your mental health and they can create pockets where there is no real accountability for your mistakes. There is no real accountability for you thinking that you are less than or not enough. And so when we think about the negative coping methods, it only makes sense for us to then move on and talk about the positive ones. And so Let's talk about these positive coping methods. Here are some things that you can do when you're doubting yourself so that you can pull yourself out of that deep, dark hole of self-doubt. Now, these first two go hand in hand. 
unconditional self-love, and using positive self-talk. Now, when we think about unconditional love, this is a love that we give no matter what happens, just as the name suggests, unconditional self-love. There are no conditions, there are no rules, there are no stipulations, and there's nothing tied to this love that changes the amount in any way, shape, or form. Unconditional self-love is something that you can give to other people, but it's also something you can give to yourself. And the way that you do this is by using that positive self-talk, by practicing telling yourself affirmations that will increase your confidence and your love for yourself. How many times have you looked in the mirror and told yourself that you were beautiful, that you were handsome, that you were wonderful or amazing, kind and caring? When's the last time you looked in the mirror and said something nice to yourself? And I know how odd it sounds to stand in front of your bathroom mirror and speak to yourself like a crazy person, but self-talk changes that inner and outer dialogue towards yourself. At least that's the goal, where you're gonna wanna start to restructure the way that you think about yourself and the way that you talk about yourself because we believe the truths that are given to us. If we can believe the truths that people give to us, such as we are ugly, we are dumb, we are worthless, we are meaningless. If we can take those negative phrases that people give to us and believe them, why can the same not be put into place for the truths we decide to give ourselves? If we look into the mirror every day and we tell ourselves that we have worth, we have value, we deserve to be loved, we deserve to have affection, we deserve to have trust and compassion and understanding in our relationships. Think about the truths that you tell yourself, the truths that you choose for yourself. If you continue to choose these truths over and over and over again, eventually they will become a cemented truth within your psyche that will then become irrefutable. You don't even think about arguing against it. Just as simply as you know that the sky is blue, you will then know how to unconditionally love yourself and to talk to yourself in such a positive manner that the mere idea of addressing yourself negatively should give you uncomfortable pause. So practicing that self-talk and that self-love every single day is gonna be a surefire way to get yourself out of the rut of doubting yourself and to prevent you from going back to that. Now, obviously, recovery is not linear, it's not perfect, you may go back and forth and back and forth, but this self-talk and self-love is so incredibly important because it really does start to change the dynamic of the relationship you have with yourself. Because I don't know if you know this, but the relationship you have with yourself is the longest relationship you will ever have in your entire life. And so why not take good care of it while it's here. Another positive coping method I like to practice is called giving yourself the grace. And this basically means understanding that you are a human being. You are liable to make mistakes. You're liable to fall short. It is not a character flaw. Instead, it can be looked at as a lesson to be learned from. I did a Sunday Reset segment about the art of failing and how to live and accept your failures. And in that Sunday Reset, I addressed 
that I do not believe that failures inherently become a part of who we are as a character, but instead, these failures can be taken, they can be learned from, and they can be cataloged into our minds to use as reminders as to what never to do again. When you give yourself the grace, you're basically acknowledging to yourself that you know you are liable to make mistakes. You know you're not perfect. You know that there's some instances where you could fall short of your own expectations. You could fall short of other people's expectations. And while that is incredibly frustrating, there is an honesty to giving yourself the grace and knowing that everybody, every single person makes mistakes. Every single person does not always add up to them, but it is something that when you think about giving yourself the grace and making mistakes, it's something that we as a society need to be a little bit more understanding of because just knowing that there are humans out there who do make mistakes, all of us do, it might be a little bit easier for us to forgive and understand where other people are coming from, including you. One last thing that you can do is find your strengths. This is gonna take some self-reflecting because I obviously don't know what everybody's strengths are, but you do. If you do some self-reflecting, Sit down with yourself and find the things that are good about you, the things that you really like about yourself. And then when you've located those things, I want you to hold on to them with a vice-like grip and continue to remind yourself of those strengths when you are feeling like a failure or when you're feeling less than. Because here's the thing, psychologically, it's very easy to convince ourselves of a truth that we choose, don't we? Even though people give us all these truths day in and day out, we're the ones that really get to decide where they go and we're the ones that get to decide how they get applied in our brains. And so when you are finding your strengths and you're finding these good things about yourself, why not take them and start to use them as armor? Why not plate them on your body so that if anybody tries to make you feel terrible about yourself, you've already got your armored plates full of your strengths and your confidence to help deflect attacks and keep yourself safe. When you find these strengths and you remind yourself over and over of the things that you like about yourself, it's going to start to build your self-confidence, especially when you do this in conjunction with continuing to practice your positive self-speak. When you start to change the world around you into a more positive and warm light, this is when you are going to really start to hit your stride in understanding that these failures and these slip-ups and these mistakes do not make you who you are. They can break you if you let them, but if not, they are lessons to be learned from. They are tiny little opportunities for you to take harness, understand, internalize, and then move on. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some activities I like to do for my own self-doubt is I do practice self-speech. I practice it a lot in the mirror whenever I see a reflective surface. Sometimes I might not always say it out loud. Sometimes I might say it in my head like, wow, you look really good today. Or, hmm, my hair looks really great today. Or, I really like the way these jeans fit on my body. That self-speak 
that self-love that you are choosing in that moment to give yourself really does start to reframe and restructure your entire mind. And who doesn't want a good little restructure every now and then? Some other things I like to do for self-doubt is I like to talk to my support group. I like to talk to my people, like my mom, my brother, my boyfriend. I'm Sometimes I will hit them up and say, hey, listen, I'm just feeling really crappy today. I just feel like I'm being really mean to my body or I'm being very mean to my heart and my soul. And so I just need a little bit of reassurance that I am not these negative, scary things that are going on inside my brain. I am worth more than this. I am worth more than what my anxiety tells me I am. And so when I lean on my support systems like that, it actually feels quite good to be able to trust somebody with the inner workings of a very confusing mind. I wanna give you this quote that I read in the article, and I really, really like this because it basically encompasses how we feel about self-doubt. And this is a very nice quote to start to live by to convincing yourself that you are amazing and wonderful and you deserve every single good thing that comes your way. And so the quote says, Sometimes the hardest part of the journey is believing that you are worth the trip. And so I want to remind you, listener, that you are worth it every single time. You are worth hard journeys. You're worth hard-fought victories. You're worth self-love. You're worth unconditional self-love. You are worth unconditional affection and understanding and compassion and you will be worth it every single time and i will never ever let you forget it so self-doubt all in all encompassing what we think it means it's basically that feeling that you're not enough that there's nothing you can do in the world that's going to make you better than xyz but this self-doubt is so easy to fall into and it's so prevalent in our society that Sometimes we don't even really realize it's there. Sometimes it takes other people messaging us or talking to us and saying, hey, is something going on? You look as though you're having a difficult time. You look as though you might be struggling with yourself. And so when you lean on your support systems, this is where you're gonna be able to start to really explore how you deal with your self-doubt because we don't wanna fall into those nasty pitfalls of the negative coping methods from before like overachieving, the imposter syndrome, and convincing yourself that, you know, if you had a little bit more time, you have something to blame your shortcomings on rather than blaming them on yourself. And so doing these positive coping methods, like understanding that you're human, finding your strengths and finding the good things that you like about yourself, and then holding on to those good things, practicing that self-love unconditionally, and practicing that self-speak is gonna be worth it every single time. And you wanna know why? Because you, you dear listener, you are worth it every single time. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. This is all I've got for you today. I hope that whoever is listening to these podcast episodes is able to take even just a tiny little piece of what I say and make it a little bit better for your day as you apply it to every facet of your life. 
I am so grateful again for all of the glowing reviews and the glowing ratings that you guys are giving the podcast. Please continue to do so if you have not already done so. Um, Go on Spotify and rate the episode however many stars you think it deserves. Rate the podcast however many stars you think it deserves. Please share the episode to your friends and family. You never know who might be struggling with their mental health and could really use some insight and some advice. I have a new email address now that you can send emails to whenever you feel like it, and that is kissyscorner at gmail.com. I will put this in the bio and the uh, episode description as well. And so you can send anything there, like any future questions regarding any episodes or an interest in recommending future topics for discussion. I also have a Google form open now that if you are interested in becoming a guest on the show, you just fill out the Google form and I will scour through each application and hopefully get back to you in time for the summer when we look to release uh, season two. Next episode, I'm going to have my first guest speaker on. Her name is Dr. Natasha Powell. She is a very close friend of mine and she is a very dedicated pharmacist. And what we're going to be talking about during that episode is the connection between medicine and mental health. It's going to be a really good episode, so please don't miss it. I am so thrilled and irrevocably grateful for everybody's love and support. You have absolutely no idea how cool it is for me to be able to do this, especially when there's amazing people like you who are listening to it as well. We are operating now in three different countries around the world, and most of our listeners are men ages 26 to 35, and I could not be happier at the metrics that we are receiving. Again, if you guys have any questions, any concerns, any interest or recommendations, please email me at kissyscorner at gmail.com. You can find me at Kissy Sensei across my socials like Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. And I hope you guys all enjoyed the episode. I absolutely enjoyed talking about this topic as well. Until next time, take my love and my light with you. Kiss your pets and your loved ones. And don't forget to stay sexy. That part is really, really important. I'll see you on next week's episode. Take care. Bye-bye.